0: Continuing our study here through the book of Joshua, and let's do the smart thing and have a quick word. Excuse us. Yeah. This is why you don't sit in the front if you're going to be a problem. So, let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you just for the time to be here tonight. We ask for your blessing upon all things, and just pray your word would be taught through your spirit, and we would just all hear what you have to say in your name. Amen. Now, the way I figure, we only got about two more studies here in Joshua, and then we are done with the book of Joshua. Um, what we're going to really finish with is the very famous verse in chapter 24, is that, as that "Is for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Because what happens is, this is really the last chapter of, um, I guess, what I call details. Last few weeks, we've been dealing with these details. The inheritance of the land, the land being passed out amongst the different tribes, And so really what you have here tonight is the last chapter of figuring out all these details. The last two chapters, chapters 23 and 24, Joshua's final words to the nation of Israel. Well, in chapter 22, this is a funny little chapter. There's no way around that. But this is a chapter we can all relate to. Now, back in Joshua 1, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh all received their inheritance on their side of the Jordan. So their side of the Jordan, they already had their land. So their responsibility was, even though they had their land, and this is going way back when we first started Joshua, their responsibility was, hey, you still need to come fight for the rest of the tribes of Israel for them to receive their inheritance, and then you can go back and settle your land. So that was the deal. They got their land first and Joshua won, but they had to come fight. Well, now that the fighting's done, it's been about seven years, Joshua says, okay, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, you guys can go back to your land on the other side of the Jordan River. You guys can now go back. See, but the problem was they were split. You had the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and they were split by the Jordan River from the rest of the tribes there, from the rest of the Promised Land. And this caused a little bit of a division. And so because this division popped up, tension started building between them. So the lesson tonight is all about getting bent out of shape about stuff without knowing the full story and the full details and then saying things and doing things that you are going to later on regret. I know that you guys have never done that, and I have never done that. But we can learn from these people that were heathens, and they did do that. (laughs) So with that being said, look how this starts out. Verse 10. When they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, built an altar there by the Jordan, a great, impressive altar. Well, verse 11... Of Joshua 22, now the children of Israel heard someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan and the region of the Jordan on the children of Israel's side. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. Wow. They got themselves all bent out of shape about nothing. Nothing. So what happens is they hear this altar is being built. They're ticked about it because now they're afraid that Reuben and Gad and Manasseh are going to start their own church, their own worship, their own nation, what have you. And so now they decide the only answer is verse 12 is to go to them and go to war against them. Now there are so many points here. Number one, look at verse 11. Who started this? Now the children of Israel heard From who? From what? If they truly heard something, why not just go ask them? The rest of this whole chapter could have been avoided if somebody from the other side of the Jordan just would have walked over, yelled over the river, Hey, are you guys starting up your own church? No. Okay. How easily avoided could that be? But yet they didn't. So what I want to do here tonight is we're going through this lesson, there's little Proverbs that we've already talked about, so these should already be repetitious to you, that just fit in perfectly with this. First one, Proverbs 16, 28. A troublemaker plants seeds of strife, gossip separates the best of friends. A troublemaker plants seeds of strife, gossip separates the best of friends, Proverbs 16, 28. This is all hearsay and gossip. No one is establishing facts which takes us to the next proverb, Proverbs eighteen thirteen. Proverbs 18, 13. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. How often do we do this as people? We come to a conclusion, we come to an answer without hearing the whole complete story. This nation is ready to go to war. Over verse 11, somebody said something. And they're ready to go to war over it. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that ridiculous? But you know what? We're not much better now, are we? For you that are married, how many times have you and your spouse gotten into a little spit? Because she said something while going out of the room that you took the wrong way and you misinterpreted. And then you sit there and you huffed and you puffed about it and you got mad rather than just saying, Hey, I I took it this way. What did you mean? How many of you at work have your boss had made just a little slight comment to you and then you overanalyzed it, you overthought about it, and next thing you know you're ticked and upset and bothered without really ever stopping to think? See, they were going to go to war, verse 12. takes us to our next proverb, Proverbs 14, 29. Those who control their anger have great understanding. Those with a hasty temper will make mistakes. How many times have we said something and then later on regretted it because we did not figure out the full story. No one went and asked these people. Well, they do do something smart. Before all of a sudden declaring war, they do try to figure out what's going on. Look at verse 13. And the children of Israel sent Phinehas, the son of Elzear, the priest, to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead. And with him ten rulers, one ruler each from the chief house of every tribe of Israel, and each one was the head of the house of his father among the divisions of Israel. Then they came to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead, and they spoke with them, saying, "I'll well, stop right there. Now, this is smart. Let's figure out what's going on. Let's we'll send a representative from each tribe. but we'll send also here the uh, priesthood. So, therefore, everything's taken care of. Let's go over and find out what they're going to say. Now, that, that's smart. I like that. That's good. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. But here's the problem. When they go to talk to him, look what they say, verse 16. Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What treachery is this that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord and that you have built for yourselves an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord? Now, them are fighting words. That is not just simply saying, Hey, nice altar, what's the point? They come, look at the words, treachery. Turn away, rebel. In that little verse, verse 16, the word you or yourselves is used four times. Now jump back to when you can think of yourself being in a state of anger or frustration or somebody you know, and can't you just see them standing there pointing at you? When you always do this, you always say that, your your attitude is always like this, your emotions are always like that. That is not the way to start out a good God-centered conversation. That's emotion. That's anger. That's not facts. No one asking, hey, why? What's up with the altar? They're already assuming treachery and rebellion, and you're going against the Lord. No one yet has even stopped to say, why are you doing this? Now here's the point where some people stop and say, I already know why they're doing it. I'm going to go on a limb and say most of you have probably not read Joshua 22. We don't know yet why they're doing it unless you're reading ahead, which if you are, you're wrong. You should follow along with me. Point is, you don't know yet why they did it. But isn't it amazing? I've heard people say, well, I know what he did. I know why he's thinking. I know why he did it. No, you don't. You don't have a clue, just like I don't have a clue. Oh, I know her. No, you don't. You think you know her. You think you know why. You don't know. I don't know. Sometimes you're right. Sometimes I'm right. Here's the problem. Human nature, I'm right once. I think I can be right every other time. That's not true. I was reading this today, and on Sunday I recommended uh, Breakfast with Jesus by Greg Laurie. If you're looking for a good Bible, this is Word for Today by Chuck Smith. It's really not a commentary Bible. It's kind of somewhere in between. He's got good little points in here, and I really like his little point on this passage. I'm going to read this to you. This is out Joshua 22. He says, a big misunderstanding. He goes, the three tribes are going to live on the east side of the Jordan. We're building a big altar down by the Jordan River. The other tribes heard about it. They were infuriated and ready to go to war over it. But they had just intended the altar to be a memorial, not a place of worship. It's interesting how often we make a judgment based on appearances, not really knowing the motive of a person. How often we are wrong in these snap judgments. That's why it's so important that we reserve judgment until we get all the facts. And he just tells a quick story. When I was a little kid, my parents had gone into town and left my older sister to babysit me. While they were gone, I went out to the garage and found some paint. I thought, I'm going to paint the garage while they are gone, and how proud will they be when they get home and see this beautiful garage. When they got home, they weren't happy to see what I had done, and I got a good looking. Years later, Kay, that's his wife, and I came home to discover that our daughter had painted our garage while we were gone. Remembering my experience as a young boy, I stopped Kay from disciplining her, and I asked gently, sweetheart, What were you thinking while you were painting the garage? She responded, I was thinking that when Mommy and Daddy got home, I'm going to get a spanking, but this sure is fun. (laughs) And then he says, You never know what's in someone's heart. We need to find out their motives and not just judge their actions. And I thought, isn't that true? Because there's been times I have been so wrong. There's been times where I've told people, you know what, don't worry about this person. I'm sure their motives are good. I'm sure their motives are pure. They're not trying to cause any problems. Time goes on, and they were just trying to cause problems. There's been other times where I looked at someone and I said, this person is just a cancer to the body of Christ. Later on, they were a great blessing. Sometimes we just don't know. So, once again, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it's folly and shame to him. Until you know all of the details, we don't know. And that's such a simplistic point. But how often do we get into trouble because we jump to conclusions because we know. We already know. I've shared with you, I think it was this last Sunday, that there's been numerous times out here at church, over the history of the church, that certain groups or people in the community have gotten upset over things that we have done because they thought supposedly these were our actions and motives behind it. No one ever once came and asked us. No one ever came and said, why? Boy, one simple question can really solve a lot of problems. It really can. They jumped the gun. They're ready to go to war. Verse 16, that's fighting words, treachery, rebellion. You're against the Lord. They don't know that. Why do they act that way? Verse 17, is this the iniquity of Peor, not enough for us, from which we are not cleansed till this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord? that you must turn away this day from following the Lord. And shall it be if you rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow he'll be angry with the whole congregation of Israel? Nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of possession of the Lord, where the Lord's tabernacle stands. Basically, they're saying, if you've got a problem, you just come with us. Do not rebel against the Lord. No, rebel against us by building yourselves an altar besides the altar of the Lord our God, because there was only one altar to offer sacrifices Verse 20, did not Achan the son of Zerah commit a trespass in the accursed thing and wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel? And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. Why were they so upset? Did you catch what they were doing here? And maybe if you don't know Old Testament a lot, you look at verse 17 and your mind is automatically shut off. I don't know what the iniquity of Peor is. I, I don't know what he's talking on verse 20 of Achan the son of Zerah and committing a trespass. What, what they're going through here is they're going through their history. And what this person is saying, their little speech is, Well, don't you remember this, verse 17, how we there was a problem in the past. Verse 20, there was a problem in the past. Why were they so worked up? They were so worked up because they were focusing on their past hurts and therefore passing the blame onto these people today. People do the same thing today. I I know people, well, you know what? Why did you get upset? Why did you get so upset at that? Well, my father always treated me that way. Okay, well, your father treated you that way, not that person. Well, my ex-spouse always spoke to me that way. Well, that was your ex-spouse. That's not this person here. How often do we take hurts and disappointments and pains that happened in the past, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, and we still are dealing with them in the present, so therefore if someone does something now, we get just as ticked to them. What did Paul write in Philippians 3? He says, I put the past behind me, forgetting those things that are behind me, and I press on forward towards the goal of Jesus Christ. I tell you right now, if you're living your life in past hurts and pains that people have done years and years ago, and you're still taking that on people now today, you're wrong for that. Okay, you may have gotten hurt, you may have got offended, you may have come out of dysfunctional of all dysfunctional. But you're also a born again, new creation in Christ Jesus, hopefully. And so therefore, the past has to be put in the past. And what happens here, why are these people ticked? They're reliving mistakes that happened, verse 17 and verse 20, years ago. And they're taking out that hurt and pain over what they're doing now. I've shared with you before, if I come home from church and I'm a grouch, and I come home and I'm grumpy and upset, the first thing Dawn asks me is, what are you ticked at? You know, if I start snapping, what are you ticked at? She knows I'm not ticked at her. She knows I'm not ticked at the kids. I'm ticked and bothered at something else, and what am I doing? Well, I can't take it out on you guys, but I can take it out on my kids and my spouse. Well, this is the same thing that's happening here. They're bothered about past events and rebellions and problems, etc., and they're taking it out now on Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They haven't done anything wrong yet. No one has asked them yet, why did you build the altar? They have already decided that it's treachery, rebellion, They've already decided that, therefore, you must not like your land, so move over to us. They've already decided that they're rebelling against God, they're rebelling against Israel, and they're already reliving 40, 50 years of Israel's sin and blaming them for it. And no one has asked yet, why did they do it? Now, is that not human nature? That's what we do. We judge before we have the facts. We start the fight before we really know what's going on. We make snap decisions, and we think with our wonderful wisdom and intellect we have in our mind that we already know why people did it. They don't know nothing yet because they haven't asked them yet. Let's stop here real quick for a second before we get into the response of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments here before we move on with the rest of this? Okay. Well, let's see what happens. Verse 21, Then the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half of the tribe of Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the division of Israel, The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he, he knows, and let Israel itself know, if it is in rebellion or if it's in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we've built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord or to offer our burnt offerings or grain offerings, to offer peace offerings on, the, on it, let the Lord Himself require an account. But in fact, we have done it for in fear for a reason, saying, In time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants, saying, What do you have to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us, and you and the children of Reuben and the children of Gad, and you have no part in the Lord. So your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. Therefore, we said, Let us now prepare to build ourselves an offer, not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifices but it may be a witness between us and our generations after us that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, with our peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore, we said that it will be when they say this to us or to our generations in time to come that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made, though not for burnt offerings, not for sacrifices, but as a witness between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, or for sacrifices besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is before his tabernacle. Wow. Why didn't they just ask him? Why didn't they just say, guys, why are you building an uh, an altar there? I mean, how many times in, in those verses did they stress? Not For offerings, not for sacrifices. It's just a replica. It's just an altar. It's just a memorial. We want our kids to be able to see this. Not to do anything wrong. This is what we want. No one asked them. This all could have been simply avoided if one person would have yelled across the Jordan, hey, what's the altar for? Instead, they almost got to the brink of war over something so silly. Just as Dawn knows when I come home and I'm ticked and angry and upset and I'm snapping at the dog and the chickens and the whatever, she knows I'm really not upset at them. I'm upset at something else. When somebody comes into my office and they're just letting loose a tirade, I know that that situation is not making them mad. I know that there's something deeper inside in their heart which is causing an issue. The tribes on the other side of the Jordan, their heart is revealed in verses 17 through 20. They're carrying pain and hurt of rebellion that happened years ago. They're carrying that idea still now. That's really what the issue is. The tribes on the other side of the Jordan, their heart's not in the right spot. So they're acting out of distrust. They're acting out of fear. They're acting out of their own past mistakes. And so therefore, they're ticked. I know what I know in my own house with our four boys. The things I get most upset about with the boys are what? The things that I see in my own self. Same thing with Dawn. The things that she gets most upset with are the things she sees in herself. Why are the other tribes so upset? Well, to be quite honest, the nation of Israel has a history of rebellion. So when they see an altar going up that looks like rebellion, that's a little too close to looking at yourself in the mirror. We need to nip this in the bud. So that's why they're so ticked. Now, it sure looks like the other tribe is wrong. The ones that came over and wanted to pick a fight, the ones that came over and wanted to start the, the war. And they were wrong, there's no doubt about that. I, I personal opinion, take it or leave it, I think the other tribes were a little wrong too, because look at this. Look at verse 24. But in fact, we have done it for fear. See, they acted out of fear. See, this also could have all been averted... If the tribes on the other side of the Jordan, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, would have went over and said, Hey, just give us a little reassurance here. You're not going to, down the road, tell our kids and our descendants that you guys aren't real Jews, and you're not going to let us come over and use the altar, right? I mean, you're going to let our kids come over and do it. See, the problem is, they built the altar, why? Out of fear. See, this is what I noticed, too. When I start acting out of fear it usually leads to a fight somehow. Because if I'm acting in fear, I'm not acting in faith. That word fear also literally means anxiety. I've seen people get worked up, maybe not out of fear, but they're worked up about something. They're anxious. They're bothered. Their little comfort zone of the world has been shaked and rattled, and so therefore they are upset. We are creatures of habit. The Bible calls us sheep, so therefore when our world gets rocked a little bit, we really don't handle that all that well. And so once again, when somebody comes into the office and they're pretty ticked and upset over something that's very minor and very small, I'm willing to bet that there's something bigger, deeper going on in their life that they're not ready to deal with at this point, and that's rocking their world a little bit. These guys built the altar out of fear. Now, it's great to sit here and say they built the altar because they wanted the great altar, the witness, the memorial for their kids, etc. And there may be an element of truth to that. But by their own words, we have done it for fear. We've done it for anxiety. We've done it for worry because we were afraid later on we would be left out. And so, therefore, that's why we did it. So you have two groups of people here that could all have been averted if they just would have said, hey, are you going to let us still be part of the group? Yes. Sounds good. Or, hey, you're building an altar. Can we ask why? No, they nearly got to bloodshed over something which was nothing. I can remember before I got married, and I can remember seeing on television programs, hearing people say, reading in books, etc., that people get into fights, and at halfway through the fight, that they could not remember what they even started fighting about. I thought that was the dumbest thing in the world. I will get into arguments with Dawn, and literally halfway through, I can't remember what side I'm supposed to be on. And you have that moment of, okay, what's my point, okay? Because I want to make sure I'm still driving home my point. (coughs) You get so worked up. And so instead of trying to end the argument, your emotions get so worked up, you're trying to win the argument. Boy, there's really no winner when it comes to things like this. If you look at chapter 22, who won? I mean, really, what an embarrassment to the nation of Israel. They're going to get into a war over an altar that no one even asked somebody about. That's what we come out of this. Two Proverbs here that kind of start our close. Proverbs 17:14. The beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. Proverbs 17:14. best way to stop a fight is not to get into one. Proverbs 20, verse 3, Proverbs 23. It's honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. And we've talked about that one a lot on Sundays recently. Any fool can start a quarrel. Anybody here tonight is dumb enough and foolish enough that you can start a fight. But the real mature wisdom is the one that keeps it from continuing and the one that stops it. And we have to stop sometime and say, okay, who is going to be the mature one? Who is going to be the one that stops and says, this is not glorifying to God, this is not glorifying to the Lord in any way whatsoever, so therefore I want to watch my words, I want to watch what I want to say, I don't want to jump to conclusions, I don't want to try to read somebody else's mind, I don't want to try to analyze someone else's actions, because if you do that, Satan will have a field day with your mind. He will have a field day, and he will create this whole scenario where the world is against you, the body of Christ is against you, nobody loves you, nobody likes you, and everything is absolutely against you. Because you know what? You deal with those thoughts, I deal with those thoughts. We all do. And we can all get into a little, boy, it's like the dog chasing its own tail. You just get yourself all worked up over nothing. It's not worth it in any way whatsoever. Anybody have any final questions, comments here before we go ahead and close up? John. Yeah, I mean, once again, that's a very valid point. A very simple thing of, uh, hey, FYI, we're building an altar, but we're not going to offer anything on it. just want to let you guys know. Yeah, it's amazing how much communication can make a, um, yeah. I mean, isn't that just the simplicity of it? It's just it's just that the right hand know what the left hand is doing when it comes to all that type of stuff. That's really what it comes down to. Anybody else have any final things I want to say before we close up? Megan. See, Megan, you always ask such deep questions that I wish I had easy answers, and there's not an easy answer. Yeah, that's a very good question. That is a very, very good question. What am I just saying? Walk away. And the answer to that is no, because not every single conversation and, and, and dare I say, argument can, you can walk away from. You know, the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. See, it's too often we have this mindset as a Christian that I'm not allowed to get angry. I get angry about things. But do I let my anger control me? And do I let my anger then control my emotions? Do I let my anger then control my words? And therefore I say things that are wrong and I regret. Sometimes you have to stay. You can't walk away. Sometimes those issues have to be dealt with. It's amazing. when I do marriage counseling with couples, I have couples that that will fight over everything. That's not healthy. But then I have couples that won't fight over anything. That's not healthy either. If you constantly keep sweeping everything under the rug, eventually the rug gets so big you're going to trip over it. So to answer your question, Megan, yeah, the majority of the time, the best thing is to probably just walk away. But the truth of the matter is there are some situations and instances where you have to say, you know what? We, we have to seek the Lord on this together and we're not on the same page. You just have to. And I know it's really difficult to imagine in the hint, in the heat of an argument, but I know for Dawn and I, is if we find things getting tense, we usually have to stop ourselves and say, you know what, let's just stop real quick and pray over this. Now that works in marriage because both of us are believers. I don't think if you go up to your coworker who's not saved and you just grab his hand and say, let's pray over this. I don't think that's going to go over real well. It'd be interesting to see. Let me know what happens. Um, but if, if you're dealing with a non-believer, sometimes there is wisdom and also just walking away. But the truth of the matter is there's times where you have to put your foot down. The greatest example of this is Jesus. You know, Pilate asked that wonderful question before to Jesus. You remember? What is truth? And what was Jesus' response? He didn't give one. Jesus realized having a conversation about this does nothing. When Jesus went before Herod, Herod wanted Jesus to do tricks like a circus clown. And the Bible says Jesus said nothing. Jesus realized at that point there is no good out of having a conversation. But there's other times with Christ when the Pharisees and Sadducees came and said something to him, that Jesus that responded in wisdom. So each situation is unique. Each situation has to be led by the Spirit, and that's why you have to be prayed up and ready for everything because you don't know until that situation arises. Lord, do I say something or do I let this one go? Each situation is unique, and you've got to let the Lord lead on it. That's okay. Realize, well, there's something you're fighting, either way, you're just gonna be wrong. Okay. So, this kind of what, like what you're saying is um sometimes, either way, you're just gonna be wrong, so just shut up. And the other times are you getting this? Are you asking me if I'm getting this? <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry, no, don't. No, no, I, I, th- sometimes there's wisdom in saying things and sometimes there's wisdom in saying nothing. Um, I, I've had conversations with people where I've said, you know, I, this, this conversation is going nowhere. The best thing that we could do right now is probably to stop this conversation and seek the Lord and pray. And there's also times where I've had conversations with people where we've said, you know what, we probably just need to let it go. And you know what, we probably really should have sat down and chatted a little bit more about it. I guess I'm not trying to give you a vague answer. Each situation is unique. And the Lord will give you wisdom at that time on when to say something and when not to say something. Because once again, Jesus as the example, with Herod and Pilate, that was the instance of wisdom was to not say anything. The Bible says don't throw your pearls before swine. But there's also numerous times where Christ said, you know what, I do need to say something. So I I sound like I'm giving a cop-out answer and I don't mean it that way. Each situation is unique. And the problem is, it's not until generally after the situation do you realize, I should have said more, I should have said less. That's why it's so important to say, Lord, what do you want me to say? And I think of that verse in James that just comes to my mind. And this is a good verse when it comes to any type of conversation. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And I think if all of us as believers were quicker to listen and slower to speak, Things would go a whole lot better. And sometimes we just gotta watch what we say. And just like we talked about Sunday, sometimes we 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 keep talking is because we feel better about it. I know for me in my life, sometimes I'm saying something just to make myself feel better. And God says, sometimes, James, you just gotta shut up. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. And you just gotta let it go and realize more is accomplished in prayer, more is accomplished through the Holy Spirit speaking in that person's heart than what you can ever imagine. And there's wisdom sometimes in just not saying anything. So, anybody else have anything to say here before we close up? All right, let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just come to you now. We just stop and say thank you. And uh, we just do praise you, uh, Lord, for who you are and what you've done and what you're doing. And Lord, help all of us with our words. We want our words to glorify you, we want our words to truly be a light and witness for you in all that we do and all that we say. And Lord, Let's just stop the quarrel before it starts. Help us to seek you and let your peace rule our hearts. We lift this up in your name. Amen. If we could have some people stick around and help.